1: Saturday, June 3rd, 2023. I'm Jared Halpern. A debt limit deal is done, and a divided government has passed a crucial test. Don't
2: default, and Wall Street's okay, and Treasury is you know, conducting auctions and everything else with T-bills. With
3: so that's important. Yes, normalcy. I'm Ryan Schmelz. After decades of trying, will this Congress be the one to get it done? A bipartisan group of lawmakers are trying to pass a comprehensive immigration reform bill, but with history not exactly on their side, will this time be different, and does Congress have the willpower to get it done?
0: We only need political willingness, period.
3: This is
1: the Fox News Rundown from Washington. The modern-day philosopher Larry David is quoted as saying, a good compromise is when both parties are dissatisfied. A congressional debt limit deal was not the subject the Seinfeld co-creator was describing, but it does fit.
4: It wasn't an easy fight. I had people on both sides upset, but I was focused on you, and I will stay focused on you because I'm waking up tomorrow going after everything we didn't get here today.
1: House Speaker Kevin McCarthy celebrating a strong bipartisan vote for the debt limit suspension agreement he brokered with President Biden, ultimately winning support from two thirds of House Republicans and about the same ratio of House Democrats. The Senate gave final approval in another bipartisan fashion, 63 to 36, again overcoming objections from the right and left. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer saying
3: this demanded a bipartisan solution We knew we'd need to come together for a solution like the one that passed tonight. And so I'm happy to stand here passing this critical legislation.
1: The critical legislation suspends the debt limit into 2025 and sets new budget caps intended to bring down spending for several years. The deal also eliminates the risk of what economists feared would have been a catastrophic hit to the economy had the U.S. defaulted and been unable to meet its financial obligations. Fox News senior congressional correspondent Chad Pergram covered every single step. And we talked after the votes about what's in the bill, what isn't, and what we learned about how this divided government can govern. The fact that he got
2: 149 Republicans to vote for a debt ceiling package to raise the debt ceiling. That's a big deal. Now, now let me go to the other side of the coin here. The other problem is that, you know, you have this this group of very right wing conservatives in the House who they don't want anything to do with this at all. We saw this on the rule vote, which is the Mm -hmm. preliminary vote to get this across the finish line. Needed to have Democrats jump in and
1: help out there. Um, Which we should say is unusual. Generally, the party in power is solely responsible. Even if every member of the majority party isn't going to vote for the final piece of legislation, they usually vote for the rule, which just governs debate.
2: Exactly, exactly. And you have to have that rule in place ahead of time before you actually consider the bill, because otherwise you can't bring up the bill. It establishes the rules for how you will play the game. And the game was the, the bill. And if you don't have the rules in place, then guess what? You can't play. So the downside of that is is that the Democrats got more votes on their side, even though they are in the minority, to pass the bill. Now, this was a big number that they got on the scoreboard, yeah. 317. But, you know, some people might look at that, and say, well, what's going on there? And this is where Ken Buck, the Republican from Colorado, said, we want, want to have a conversation about
1: possibly vacating the chair, is what he said. Two thirds of the Republican conference voted for this. That's right. Nearly two thirds of the Democratic caucus voted for this. Kevin McCarthy is having the same problem that John
2: Boehner and Paul Ryan, John Boehner used to call these folks the chuckleheads.
1: Uh I'm surprised I, it wasn't something more vulgar that we that, can't that, say on this family friendly podcast. That was
2: the term he used in the press. But it's it, it's kind of the same alignment of people. They have a little more power this time. You're right. He got you know, two thirds of his of his conference to vote for this. So that's significant. But again, they're always going to be that pebble in the shoe of Kevin McCarthy here. And here's the problem for Ken Bach and Dan Bishop, the Republican from North Carolina. Dan Bishop said that he doesn't have any confidence in the speaker. Ken Buck indicated we need to have a conversation about possibly vacating the chair. And, and he indicated that if Kevin McCarthy is passing bills with Democrats, uh, he, he, he said it's like going on a date with a unit is what he said to Tyler Olson. Now we're back to our family friendly program. We'll, we'll
1: stop the analogy at
2: that point. But, but Tyler Olson said our <laughs> colleague here at Fox News was interviewing him. So, well, what what does that mean? And he said, well, you're moving bills. Well, you know, you, you have support with Democrats and maybe would would it be Democrats who save him in the speakership? Here's the problem for Ken Buck. If they put that on the floor, they could have a motion to table, so you're one step removed from this. You don't actually consider the underlying resolution. Or Number two, there are a lot of Republicans who are going to support and fight to the death for Kevin McCarthy, and Ken Buck and Dan Bishop are going to lose big time. Well, that
1: was what what I was going to say, right? What's the saying? If you go for the king, you better not miss, right? And the other part of that equation is... It took 15 rounds to get Kevin McCarthy, who didn't really face a challenger, the Speaker of the House. Who's going to succeed I him? That. I asked that of Ken Buck. And, and you know, again,
2: this is always the, the line around this place. You can't replace somebody with nobody. Nobody seems to know who the anybody is. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the dog that catches the car. Consider how rare this is. You know, this is not a parliamentary system we have here on Capitol Hill. In foreign governments, in the British United Kingdom, other places, you know, in parliaments, they have periodically votes of confidence, no confidence in the prime minister. And that's pretty much a signal that maybe that party or that leader has to go or somebody else comes in. That would be akin to this. Now, again, as I say, because it's about the math, the math is really in Kevin McCarthy's favor right now. But the other factor in this is that we've never had this happen before in the middle of a Congress. That motion to vacate the chair has been in the House rules for, you know, various Congresses for decades now. And it just shows you how dramatically the Congress has changed where nobody ever thought about doing this. And, you know, it kind of goes back to this resolution by Mark Meadows, the former congressman, former chief of staff, who introduced a resolution in the summer of 2016 with John Boehner. He did not make it live, though. But that was enough that John Boehner
1: realized that the writing was on the wall and he was out by September. But this seems different. I mean, this really seems like Kevin McCarthy has emerged as a stronger speaker than he started to get two thirds of the party behind something that they didn't really want to do this way. Yes. And you take some whipping, take some leadership skills, doesn't it? You have. Yes, you have a very vocal minority of the majority
2: that makes a lot of news. Uh, they, they say some outrageous things sometimes. Uh, they want to stir things up. They have a base in the Republican Party, just not in their districts, yeah. but in bases around the country that appreciate this thing that Kevin McCarthy is the swamp and Mitch McConnell is the swamp and don't even get me started on Paul Ryan and John Boehner. You see, that's, that's the type of mindset that they have. Okay, fine. But there are too many Republicans right now who have Kevin McCarthy's back. And that's the issue. Now, I will say this. The thing to watch... Is whether or not we get to September, and that's when they have to fund the government. And this bill, this agreement to raise the debt ceiling, the only thing that this really does is it, in fact, suspends the debt ceiling. Yeah. Everything else is just things on paper. Right, right. When you get to the fall and you have to fund the government, you are firing with live ammo at that point. This is a practice round. Let's see what this looks like when Kevin McCarthy goes through this and maybe there's a spending bill or spending bills that don't comport with this well, right right wing come full.
1: As you, and to that point, we already are hearing, especially on the Senate side from some Republicans who want to see the defense number in this bill raised. There are sort of carve outs for additional spending if, if that warrants. So you're right. That will be really the test of this. I do want to talk about the relationship now between the speaker And the president, because clearly last um, administration and and a couple of congresses ago, I I think it's fair to say that President Trump and Speaker Pelosi had a famously toxic relationship. I don't think they spoke very often, if at all. We had that famous episode where the speaker walked out of the Oval Office, walked out of that meeting with, with the president. That wasn't this. I mean, even when they were disagreeing over sort of even what they were disagreeing about, they would use words like, you know, productive, professional, everybody's um, working in good faith. What did we learn about Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden as sort of negotiators and their ability over the next two years or so to work together?
2: This is a a rather subtle effort by Kevin McCarthy to bring down the temperature on Capitol Hill. Uh, He's been somewhat successful in this. On one hand, uh, he has, you know, you know, offended people, frankly, and made them upset when he released tapes regarding the, the riot. Okay, that's one thing. Uh, there's been you know, another you know, group of people who've been upset when they said you know, all they're going to do are all these investigations, and so far they don't have any scalps. Okay, but what you do—and you expect the, the, the party opposite the president to be aggressive in that sense. That's always the case, maybe especially this time, because when you can't pass legislation, what do you do? You investigate, and you write letters and everything else, and that's what James Comer and Jim Jordan do an awful lot of. So he wants to do that, A. He needs to do that politically, but also if they can show a modicum of working together. And I will come back to, it's not like Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy are going to have this great bipartisan relationship. It's never going to
1: happen. It's not going to be Reagan and Tip O'Neill.
2: Which, you know, and, and again, and I talk about this, and I did a report on this when they had the the St. Patrick's Day luncheon here on Capitol Hill. They, they actually got things done through that. But Tip O'Neill, if you go back and look at the language, Tip O'Neill said some pretty bad things. <laughs> president Reagan, even though they had a friendship. And I yeah. think this is, kind of, maybe, maybe, maybe I should recalibrate what I'm saying here a little bit. Maybe this is kind of like that. If you really know the O'Neill-Reagan relationship, it might be similar where they say some pretty bad things. And and I don't, how many times are we going to continue to hear Kevin McCarthy saying, he didn't meet with me for 97 days, said, you know, wouldn't even do it, but then calls the president's negotiators, Shalonda Young, Steve Reschetti, counsel of the president, Top notch, smart people in the room. Yeah, that's uh, that's important, and and you know, and we didn't have that with uh, you know former President Trump. That everybody from Capitol Hill, yeah. you
1: know, you know, again with Nancy Pelosi, they were just all a bunch of you know whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was famously bad. Um, and so I guess the the other thing, and you look at this, I guess from both sides, is both the president now, I think, is able to point to another bipartisan legislative win. He's trying to, to show he's sort of this steady hand here. Um, and does this do anything to sort of quell some of the concerns we'd heard that the Republicans in the House weren't going to be able to get anything done?
2: Yes, in that sense, because, you know, this was the first big thing yeah. they're able to get done and able to get it done in a, in a way that they actually, you know, con- continue to get the you know, government operating. And we don't default and Wall Street's OK and Treasury is, you know, conducting auctions and everything else with T-bills. With so that's important. Yes, normalcy. Uh in many respects the Biden presidency was about kind of a return to normalcy. This was a phrase that was used with uh uh you know former president Hard- Harding from Ohio 1920 that was his phrase, you know, return to normalcy. He didn't like some of the aggressive um foreign policy interventionalist uh you know moves by Woodrow Wilson and that was what he did. So we've been through this Period where you had a very unconventional president in former President Trump, and that's probably, you know, the you know the nice way to say it uh, from a lot of people's vantage point. You had a riot at the Capitol, and so this is President Biden trying to say, okay, we're we're going to do basic things. We're going to get chips done. Big bipartisan vote last year. Infrastructure yeah. got that done. Big bipartisan vote. Now we're you know at least we haven't defaulted. The government is not going to default. Tr- Social Security checks are going to go out the door. That's fine. So that's very important as well, and for some to some degree, that's also the charge of Kevin McCarthy, to try to make the place on Capitol Hill work a little bit too. And maybe that's a little bit of a sign in that respect. You know, it was amazing to talk to some of the members, and you know, the, praising this deal where they said, "Well, you know, we're going to do appropriations the right way." You hear this term around so much here on regular order. Regular order. <laughs> they say that as much as infrastructure week, <laughs> our favorite. Yes, and. Now, that is in the eye of the beholder, first of all, but just the idea that you're going to do 12 appropriations bills, run them through subcommittee and then committee and onto the floor, et cetera. Now, I want to see that actually happen. Okay. There's a lot of reasons why I might be skeptical that that- When's the happen. last time it happened? Uh, you really got to go back uh, to about, oh, well, there, there's two metrics for this. There was um one year in about, I remember Jerry Lewis from California yeah. was the chair of the appropriations committee. So we're looking about circa 0405.
1: But the last time both sides did everything by the book was like the. That's what I'm saying. So that's why you have some skepticism that they're going to be. And and listen, that's fine. But but, but
2: look at this. You know, at what point does the regular order, the non regular order become regular, regular, you you know, this business that you say this is how we play. Okay, okay. let's imagine it's baseball. Okay, so it has been since 1973 that there has been a designated hitter in baseball. Is that the regular? Well, now, you know, a a, a D.H. is universal in both leagues. Mm -hmm. The pitcher never bats, except in in extreme circumstances. There are purists who will tell you, no, it should be eight players in the field and the pitcher bats and that adds strategy, everything else. But if you've done it the other way for so long, then that isn't that the regular way? Well, the D.H. is now a part of baseball.
1: I could say the same thing about the shift. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but I have some strong feelings about not allowing the shift anymore at any rate. What who, we're... who who knew that Ron
2: Blomberg, <laughs> the first designated hitter in Major League history played for the Yankees and back in the in the
1: 70s would have have a comment here on con Quite. It's quite a legacy. So, I guess I'll finish with this and that is the next kind of flashpoint that you would expect is going to be in September as we get to Whatever a funding bill looks like, whether it is 12 appropriations bills, maybe 13 if they have to do an additional one for Ukraine, maybe 14 if we have an active hurricane season.
2: Or, or the other thing they might do with defense, I'm going to give
1: our listeners a term here, OCO.
4: Yes.
2: So some years ago, because they could not put as much money
1: into defense as what they wanted. During sequestration. Yes. Yes. yes which was. The tamp- last debt limit uh, deal, by the way. <laughs>
2: 2013, 20, 2011. 20, yeah.
1: yeah. Which was tamping down how much money they spent.
2: They had something called overseas contingency operations. Now this was real money. It went to defense, and it was $70, 80 billion dollars. Yeah. I mean, this is not just you know, but it was, and, and it's not a slush fund. I hate that term because nobody knows what a slush fund is. But it was, it was real money, but it wasn't on the books. Now Kevin McCarthy and Kevin Mc, uh, and, and Patrick McHenry from North Carolina, they both said we're not going to do anything behind the hand here. Or something we're going to do it by the book. Now is this regular order back? Regular order question. Will they do something for defense that is OKO-esque? Yeah. And again, just knowing, you know, this is why context is important. I presented to you a history of how they did it previously when they had to make people dance to get through the debt ceilings of the imposed sequestration. That was a problem. So they came up with OCO. so the Defense Department got its money. I, I mean, I was in the hallway in Statuary Hall when the chairman of the Armed Services Committee barged into John Boehner's office when they found out what this thing was going to look like i mean i mean, i, I, I darn near got run over i, I mean it was you know, yeah, pretty extraordinary but that's again, and there
1: are and, and that's why i said earlier in the conversation there were already concerns that this defense number in the agreed upon spending caps is not high enough right
2: and and so look at what they do in september yeah. because now this is just kind of the wish list
1: and that's what we'll uh return to chad Tremendous work the last few weeks. Appreciate it. Thank
2: you. Likewise, I want to see uh, Ron Blomberg take batting practice.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
3: Here's something you probably didn't have on your 2023 bingo card. Fox's Griff Jenkins, mentioning one of the hottest summer concerts of the year in a border and immigration segment. I have a better chance of getting a ticket to Taylor Swift, Ryan, than this bill passing. He's talking about a comprehensive immigration reform bill called the Dignity Act, which is facing some serious odds. That's because despite many attempts, comprehensive immigration reform has fallen short time after time over the past several decades. But the group of bipartisan lawmakers are trying to to beat those odds. The effort is spearheaded by Democrat Veronica Escobar of Texas and Republican Maria Salazar of Florida, who says enough is enough.
0: We don't need what's happening at the border. The country doesn't need it. The country doesn't deserve it. Forget whether they were Republicans or Democrats. The country doesn't deserve it.
3: The more than 500-page bill involves border security, with funding for more agents, technology upgrades, and no funding for restarting border wall construction. On the other hand, it provides a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants and dreamers. This isn't the only bill Congress is considering this session, and Fox News correspondent Griff Jenkins has covered the border extensively. He joins us to take a look.
4: Things have changed, Ryan, because we're seeing a drop in numbers of illegal immigrants coming across between the ports of entry. And the administration of course takes a victory lap saying that it's policies they put in place and certainly we've seen things like this cbp1 app that allows migrants to apply for asylum before they cross illegally and then come through a port of entry and be paroled that has helped and so too the, the magic ingredient here is the Mexican government. You know, they have not necessarily been helpful. And in many ways, I have, in my reporting, said at times when I was covering caravans of two, three years ago, you know, we were seeing Mexico almost assisting, giving rides to migrants from Mexico's southern border to the northern border on buses, effectively making Mexico a transit country from wherever they came from to our southern border. So we're seeing it go down, but it's worth in context to step back and, and realize the administration when they came in and undid all of these Trump border policies, many of them which were geared towards enforcement, uh, caused the numbers to hit unprecedented levels. That's why we've had seen more than two million uh, encounters uh, last in, in the last fiscal year. And so, you know, For those that have been covering the border for a long time, like myself, and I've been doing it for more than 10 years, you really have to just sort of hold your breath and pause and wonder, does it stay down a little bit or will it pick back up? Because what has happened is we've seen the number of migrants coming to our country increasing. We've seen the cartels just absolutely uh, profit grotesquely off of it so much so that in some sectors we cross, humans are almost as valuable as drugs. And we've seen the wristbands where they organize it and they're moving them. And you're seeing the migrants now coming from you know, 170 countries. So when I'm there, I did uh, uh, some reporting about a couple months ago, and literally I had like six or seven people from China walk right into our live shot. So, you know, it's not just Central Americans and Mexicans that are coming for work. Now it's the whole world. And we know from border officials, a lot of that has to do with cartels literally advertising to get them to come, to go through their organized uh, process. So
3: the problem Number's down a little bit, but jury's still out on whether it stays that way right and we hear the White House do an awful lot of campaigning uh, to try to combat misinformation with with the cartel members and also smugglers who, uh, from what we understand are, are are trying to convince people that the border's open, you can cross illegally, and we 're going to help you get there and that 's clearly not not what they want people to be thinking when they come across the border, and also too, you know I remember asking the White House uh, a few months back if they felt like me- the mexican government was doing enough to combat cartel violence and they were pre- they've been pretty complimentary of the cooperation they've had with the mexican government and it seems like th- it has been a little bit of an unprecedented working relationship and some of that might be because Mexico's being impacted by this with so many nationals from other countries coming in and using mexico as a funnel into the united states
4: that's a great point and and, and you're right you know the the white house is been putting their messaging out for so long about the border is not open. Now is not the time to come. And migrants didn't listen because why? Well, the migrants came over, paid the cartels, and they got across. And so then the family members go on their Facebook pages and see, hey, it worked. I got to Florida or New York or Nebraska, wherever they're trying to go, because many of them have some family member or friends or some, some diaspora, if you will, from from those migrants. And so, you know, success of those that went before you is the greatest pull factor, if you will, for these migrants. But at the same time, now that they're putting out this... Um, you know, uh, Title 42 is gone under Title 8. We will enforce if you don't qualify for asylum or aid, we're going to send you back and ban you for five years from entering the U.S. That's, that's had an impact. But back to the Mexican government, as you're mentioning, you know, I've spent countless uh, weeks in places like Matamoros, Reynosa, Juarez, Tijuana, And the strain on border communities is real. And, you know, you see Mayor Eric Adams lighting his hair on fire because he's got 10,000 migrants in New York City. He can't deal with it. The biggest, wealthiest city, I think, uh, you know, on on the planet. Uh, But you've got these smaller border towns. It's very difficult for them in the shelters uh, are a problem. And so the Mexican citizens in these towns uh, have had it as well. And that uh, has been, a, I think, a significant part. I'm not sure exactly how much, but it's definitely been a part of the Mexican government getting involved, saying, hey, we got to do something for what they see as their northern border.
3: And as somebody who has probably some of the best sources along the southern border in the entire business, you know, what are they saying to you needs to be reformed the most? We hear a lot about the asylum process being broken. We hear a lot about the immigration process in general being broken and also how resources are being used. But what what, what would you say is the biggest thing they would like to see reformed or at least action from Congress besides just resources?
4: You know, Ryan, you never divulge your sources, but... Let's just say I am sad to see the current Border Patrol chief, Rell Ortiz, who is soon to retire in a matter of days. (laughs) He was a great source and still will be able because, you know, at the end of the day, these border officials wanted to help get the message out of what it is that they need. Once they realized that the administration's policies were causing and they were seeing this absolute historic unprecedented surge and spike in numbers. They had to figure it out. Now, in the traditional uh, coverage of the border for, for years, you always heard one thing from border officials. They wanted three things to get it under control, manpower, infrastructure, and technology, right? Meaning they wanted more agents They wanted better technology, the drones, the eyes in the sky. And they wanted infrastructure, meaning the wall, not a giant wall like President Trump necessarily talked about, but targeted infrastructure areas because it would cause the flow of migrants to move from one area to another and they could better do their job of enforcement. What ended up happening Because the numbers were so overwhelming, the border officials, the Border Patrol agents, the men and women in grain, were taken off of the border and were doing the transporting, driving buses, doing all the processing of these migrants so much so that they couldn't do their fundamental duty. And that was the... Uh, thing that really broke the camel's back, if you will, in terms of the border officials just being frustrated, overworked, morale down, realizing, man, we've got to basically babysit these migrants and move them around. We can't even go to the border where we try and stop them, particularly stopping things like the ones that want to evade uh, capture, that don't want to just turn themselves in. They want to be what they call a gotaway
3: and we talk about manpower infrastructure and technology you know one of the bills that we're talking about in this segment the dignity act it's bipartisan uh it's what you might consider to be a comprehensive immigration bill we're talking about 500 pages here uh it 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 addresses a lot of that hiring border patrol agents it does address infrastructure uh, in certain spots and also technology which is is you know something we do hear talked about quite a lot but we have uh republican salazar from florida uh you have mike lawler of a republican from New York getting becoming a co-sponsor recently and you have Escobar who's from uh El pa- the El Paso area who's also leading this charge um but the question is is this time going to be different Escobar told me that she thinks it is going to be different because she feels like the american people finally want action and are kind of fed up with the, with this being an issue but we've also heard this tale many times, right?
4: (laughs) I have bad news for Congresswoman Escobar, and that is I have a better chance of getting a ticket to Taylor Swift, Ryan, than this bill passing. Let's back up for a second. The last time Congress did anything with regards to comprehensive immigration reform, which is what this bill is touted as, all 500 plus pages of it, was 1986 under Ronald Reagan. Look it up, no joke. The last immigration reform and a Control Act, was 1986. And in that bill, what happened? Ronald Reagan, not only do they say it as slang, they put it in language, amnesty, for nearly 3 million illegal immigrants already here. So that was really, after that happened, uh, I think a lot of Republicans and conservatives were like, hang on. Amnesty now it was being sold. Reagan sold it as a trade. Those that are here can stay here, but no more are coming, and we're going to tighten down on enforcement and They did do a fair amount of that. But every since that nineteen eighty six bill, basically, when the amnesty outraged half of the political aisle up here in Washington, it became a wonderful campaign issue. It is just my observation. Uh, lest I say opinion, but I feel like this is such a good campaigning issue for both parties. Neither are serious about doing it. Now, in fairness to Escobar and the others behind this Dignity Act, you do have a situation now that is a f- absolute humanitarian crisis and many say national security crisis. So they are serious. And I've looked over the summary of this bill, and there's very serious things that make sense. But... Is the political will actually here? I don't know that it is. And you have a a whole host, unlike in 1986, you now have this whole group of these dreamers, the children that were brought here.
3: That's a big part of the bill, yeah.
4: Against their their knowledge because they were one years old or an infant or three years old. They have been here and they are the ones that you would think would be at the front of the line for getting some sort of uh, fast-track pathway to citizenship, but yet at the same time, the same Democrats that will push for that aren't necessarily looking to build more wall, necessarily. They'll do targeted stuff, but not to the level uh, of enforcement that Republicans want. So I'm not sure they get together on this, and in this divided Congress— I definitely don't see how you have this, you know, uh, uh, group of of sort of moderates in the middle. And by the way, it's not that others haven't tried since 1986. Uh If you go back, I remember when George W. Bush came in. He was riding high and he was literally the first big thing he was going to do was uh, comprehensive immigration reform and then 9-11 hit. And it never got off. Obama did do something. It was a little, he had the unaccompanied child. It didn't do much. I My career covering the border started when the state of Arizona did a law under then-Republican Governor Jan Brewer, SB 1070. And basically what Governor Brewer saw was a rise and a spike in drugs and migrants crossing illegally in Arizona and she was wanting to pass a law so that her state law enforcement officers, meaning sheriffs, state troopers, whoever, could inquire uh, about a person's immigration status based on simply maybe they're here illegally and then enforce putting them in ICE proceedings and having them removed. Now, the flip side of that is, of course, all of the sanctuary cities we've heard about where exactly that sort of thing can't happen. And that was a significant development. Uh, uh, but, you know, again, nothing's been done. And I'm not sure this Congress has a political will to even get this uh, out of a committee.
3: Now, does 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 putting it out there that they are willing to take anybody in and make amendments where it is? They, I, I believe at their press conference, they said the words, you know, we, if you have better ideas, come and see us because we're willing to listen to them. It seems like they're being pretty open-minded about this. And they've even acknowledged that they knew they were going to get pushback on this from both sides of the aisle. But they said this is this is a compromise, similar to what we just saw with the debt ceiling. Does, do you think that gives them that extra push, or is it still kind of running into the same issues that other immigration bills have run into in the past?
4: Great question. And I think it's the same Old situation, uh, to paraphrase a great 1980s Motley Cruz song, same old situation here. And unlike the debt ceiling, we're not going off any fiscal cliff. Moody's isn't going to downgrade us, whether we have a million illegal immigrants or one. And, you know, we hear a lot about the national security threat and we hear every month the reporting of a handful of the migrants they apprehended hit this terrorist screening database and that's terribly alarming but i'm not sure it's enough to move the needle on this and at the end of the day you are so far apart with democrats uh wanting to highly increase the The legal pathways for migrants, where Republicans want enforcement first before we start the pathway that I'm not sure how you get past it. There's not a creative fix, I think, here
3: and and this isn't the only immigration bill it's going through. You have Democrats uh, proposing their own comprehensive immigration reform bill. You have Republicans touting what they called one of the toughest border security policies uh, in history. It's already passed the House. It doesn't look like it's going to go anywhere in the Senate. Uh, and then you have Chris Kirsten Cinema and Tom Tillis having a, a pretty much a rehashing of Title 42 minus the public health aspect. Any do any of those stand a chance of making any progress here?
4: Probably not. Unfortunately. And, you know, one of the things you saw in the last administration, right, Trump didn't get anything passed as far as legisl- legislatively speaking, but a handful of executive orders and remain in Mexico was the Trump policy that was blasted as, you know, racist, Trump's a xenophobe and all that stuff. And it basically said that if you're applying for asylum, you can do so, you just have to wait in Mexico. Meaning if you cross illegally between a port of entry, claimed asylum, rather than being caught and released, which is the you know, what we're seeing so yep. much under this administration, Trump would make him go back and sit in Mexico. And guess what? Numbers went down. Why? Because A lot of those migrants, wherever they're from, albeit Central America or China, don't want to wait in a Mexican border town for two years, living in squalid shelter conditions. Now, you fast forward, and my point here is, essentially the CBP-1 app with applying for asylum in another country before you come here, so that you can get organized to cross legally at a port of entry at such time you're scheduled, Guess what that is? Don't tell anybody. It's remain in Mexico, reworked. So I think, you know, could any of these um, narrow-focused bills... Uh, in proposals that both Republicans or Democrats are putting out there get adopted Yeah, I think so, but it probably is less going down the legislative Path and would be more appropriate for an executive
3: order from the White House Right, and I remember when when the Republican bill was introduced obviously it brings back a lot of Trump administration agenda items and also I remember asking leader Scalise, you know, well, will you have an open line of communication either with the White House or with some Democrats in red states and border states to to take amendments and make sure this gets passed? And he kind of diverted and said, well, they'll hear, hear about it from their constituents, which, you know, is kind of showing this is going to end up being likely a partisan bill and likely it's not going to go anywhere from there. <laughs> um, but I think one thing, you, you know, you touched on former President Trump. He's on the campaign trail talking about Uh, birthright citizenship and whether or not he would end it if he's elected president. I know he ran on this in 2016, or at least talked about it quite extensively. You know, what do you kind of make of that? And is this feasible? Could it happen? (laughs) What what are the legal issues there?
4: Well, uh, former President Trump has uh, a, a problem in that there's this thing called the Constitution, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and he's gonna run into that. It's not like the last Congress passed a law that you're now going to undo and reverse. This is a constitutionally protected premise we're talking about, and so you know I think uh ending birthright citizenship is a great campaign talking point and sound bite, but it's definitely not going anywhere uh short of an executive order that would be likely and quickly challenged in the courts and would likely, based on, and I'm not a lawyer, but based on my understanding of constitutional law, would go nowhere. And he's not the first to sort of suggest that. It's been suggested many times before. And look, there's, you know, we we have gone through periods of lawmakers upset about anchor babies. That's what we're talking about, right? And I have I remember Ryan a couple of years ago. Literally, um, uh, I was going to get up at, you know, four in the morning and and ride along with the the, the troopers and and the border patrol agents as I normally do before dawn because that's the busiest time, and. Out we go. And they're like, we got to go to, the, to this uh, parking lot of, uh, of a uh, honky-tonk bar. This is near, uh, near McAllen, Texas. And we get there. And sure enough, a woman had crossed and seconds later gone into labor. Wow. Uh, but that baby is an American citizen yep. now. Uh, not sure what happened to the mom. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see it play out. But you you know, you, you put your finger on something that I think is 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 very significant, and that is when you've got lawmakers trying to find common ground in this dignity act and, and other bills, but specifically this one, perhaps their biggest enemy in this is that we are already into a campaign uh 2024 it's 523 days until americans go to the election ballot box in november of 2024 but the issues are already resonating and we are seeing president trump already talking about this issue and so uh it's hard to believe with a with a topic that's pulling at the top of issues that Americans care about, that either side would give that up and say, yeah, well, you know, it was an issue, but hey, we did a great immigration reform bill, so that's not a problem anymore. Let's move on.
3: And that's the last question I got for you. How does this play into 2024? You've already kind of touched on how it is playing right now, but how is it playing? You know, uh, moving forward and then down the road too uh, as a campaign issue.
4: Well, it's going to be fascinating. You're not going to hear a lot about it on the left, I don't think. Even though the administration's taking credit for getting out of control, everybody knows it wasn't a problem before he came in. So it's not like it's a a, a thing. You know, the Democrats want to look at things like lowering inflation. Americans can relate. Democrats aren't necessarily going to be running unless you're maybe a person like Kirsten Cinema, for whom your seat is so, uh, your state is so affected by it. On the Republican side, I'm very fascinated and pay attention to this. What I'm watching right now is Trump's already talking about rolling back that birthright citizenship. But let's not forget, and it didn't get a lot of attention, but Governor DeSantis passed one of the toughest anti-illegal immigration bills in Florida just a few weeks ago. And while it only applies to Florida, he will make the case. Uh, and I think, you know, he kind of already did in, in that uh, he alluded to it very briefly in that uh, Des Moines initial campaign speech. He's going to make the case that, hey, I got it done in Florida, in immigration reform, and I can do it on the national level. And how he will propose to accomplish that will be very fascinating because I think there are a lot of Americans that realized, hey, you know what? Trump didn't build a wall. And guess what? Mexico didn't pay for it. So we're now seeing the border a mess. What can actually get done? What's actually possible? Uh, and maybe DeSantis or any of the other candidates, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Chris Christie, we're getting a whole lot more now. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, w- what they will say about it.
3: Griff Jenkins. Awesome stuff as always. Thank you so much.
4: Thanks, Ryan. Great to be with you and keep an eye on that border topic. It's at the top of the list in 2024.
3: Absolutely. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, we head out to the first primary caucus state known for picking corn. But will it pick the next president? We have a 2024 recap as candidates try to convince Iowa voters to pick them. And what's next for the Supreme Court? For now, I'm Ryan Schmelz, Thank you for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay
4: up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.